everyone, and welcome to Fanthology, <laughs> a podcast dedicated to examining fan works and fan culture through fan fiction. Um, my name is Cho, aka Chick Cheney, and I am a lover of fan fiction in all of its forms. I discovered fan fiction when I was about 13. It was Yu-Gi-Oh! fanfic on fanfiction.net, back when fanfiction.net was the only thing people had other than like Angel Fire and GeoCities websites, and I've just been hooked since. And with me, my co-host is... Larissa. Uh, I am damn underscore antihero on Twitter. Um, I found out about fan fiction probably around the same age as you, but um, in 1999, 98, around there, uh, I was into, I can't remember what my first fan fiction was, to be honest with you, but um, I did spend a lot of time on fanfiction.net. I was in Yahoo web rings mailing lists message boards it's very hard to find fan fiction before fanfiction.net um so <laughs> it's not fun <laughs> i always think about like how those yahoo groups like worked was it just like a newsletter that you got occasionally oh what was it like a like those yahoo groups was it just like a newsletter that you got occasionally yeah it was like a really it was a really badly structured message board kind of where people would reply via email and then you would get the whole like thread. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've always been confused about the logistics of that. <laughs> Primitive forms of uh, fanfic reading. Yeah, it was. And it was it wasn't even really fanfic reading as it was more fandom ish things. Oh, um, okay. But they would have links to websites where you could read fan fiction. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I have seen like thick websites that people make for specific pairings or fandoms. Yeah, where you had to go and search for the password because they wanted to make sure you were 18 or over. <laughs> Damn. I mean, by the time I got yeah. to fanfic, you just had to like do the math and like put in a, a date <laughs> for your birthday in which you would be 18. <laughs> okay, like if I'm 13 now in five years, it'll be okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> right. So we created Fanthology because we both love fanfic and we both love yes. like fandoms. We may not love everything about fandom, but the idea of it, like just a bunch of people getting together and creating transformative works and putting time and energy into something that they love is just an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. This is an excuse yes. for us to read fanfic from other fandoms and some of revisit some of our old haunts and, uh, examine what that means and what it means for those fandoms and basically fandom at large like what happens in star trek fandom it doesn't happen in a bubble it bleeds over into supernatural fandom and the magnificent seven fandom and so on and so forth so it's it's really nice to see how things link together mm-hmm. fittingly mm-hmm. we are kicking this off with star trek which is considered the first fandom kind of science fiction fandom that then bled into star trek <laughs> fandom which was dominated by women and now modern fandom is still pretty much dominated by women which makes me happy so uh we start with the show itself so i've never watched star trek but the official show synopsis is the original star trek (laughs) series focused on the 23rd century adventures of captain james t kirk and the uss enterprise a powerful interstellar spacecraft dispatched by earth-based starfleet command to explore the galaxy what i did know about star trek like in my baby days before fan fiction, before anything, was that it had the first interracial kiss between um, uh, Spock and Uhura? Uhura. Uh, I, th- I think it was Kirk and Uhura. Kirk and Uhura? Okay. Uh huh. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm all mixed up. Yeah. That's okay. So, yeah. And she, 
I knew what she looked like. I knew that she wore a red little like space dress and everything. <laughs> um, and it's later on, I, the space dress, because, <laughs> you know, like it looks weird, but like hot yeah. at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that she was portrayed by Zoe Saldana and um, the alternate original series with uh, Chris Pine and Zachary uh, Quinto. Chris Pine. <laughs> The only Chris I feel nothing for. I, I don't know why. Never mind. I also don't feel anything for the other Chris. You know the one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whatever his name is. Um, so the show was just like, it was a very niche show. It was science fiction in 1966, I believe, is when it was for, it first aired. And it's, it made it many impact because it could have an interracial kiss because it was so niche and the audience for it was smaller at the time. And yet somehow it has withstood the test of time. Um, what got you into watching Star Trek, Larissa? Uh, did you know that Lucille Ball was like a, a big cheerleader for Star Trek? Really? <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. I, I read that not too long ago, but she was she pushed for Star Trek to be on uh, CBS or whatever. Um, anyway, I got into Star. I got into original Star Trek after the reboot happened, just to see where it came from. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's a very cerebral show. Um, on the surface, it's kind of silly. Uh, so, but if you sat there and actually watched it and paid attention, then you're like, "Oh shit!" And putting it into context too, the things that they were talking about, the even the crew itself in the '60s, you have a Russian. An, an Asian man, uh, a black woman, and they're all in positions of power. I mean, they're all still under a white man, but they're still in positions of power and they have storylines. It's very, um, you think about it now and you're like, oh my gosh, it's more diverse then, purposefully than what you get now where they do it as sort of like a trick. Oh, here you have, yeah. here's, here's a black dude. Uh, here's a brown person just to check off a mm-hmm. list. So yeah. In that kind of context, is pretty groundbreaking. It's pretty interesting, um, and a lot of it centered around Kirk. And th- the thing that bothers me the most is everyone thinks Captain Kirk is some sort of like space adventurer, womanizer kind of thing. When it's not what he was, he's very much an intellectual. Um, and then you got Spock too, who's his straight man to Kirk, and then you got McCoy, mm-hmm. who's the <laughs> sorry, I know what you, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> And then you got the doctor who is kind of like kind of like the audience in a way where he's always he's always voicing what you're thinking a lot. Um, and he's the middleman between the two. He connects the two. He connects Kirk and Spock. So I feel like. Yeah, so that's that's what I got out of it. I watched it. All, it's only, I think, three seasons, but I think from beginning to end, I only watched the first season. But it's a very interesting watch. Um, even the special effects, you could tell they actually tried their best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the trope of like they the Gaussian the girl that's like decked out of like the most intense blur came from Star Trek. <laughs> that's something that's like yes, introduced yes. to <laughs> science fiction fandoms across yes. the, the globe now. <laughs> the, um, the romance flowery lens it gets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's a, it's, it's a fun show to watch. It's like I said, if you put it in perspective, it's pretty groundbreaking. So, yeah. And like, I didn't even think about it that like that. until you mentioned it, that, um, this was like a a small show only ran for three seasons. And 
the diversity just happened. It wasn't doing it for points. Um, in the seventies, you, I mean, the sixties, you wouldn't really get points for that anyway. So yeah, you was, get minus points. You get minus points <laughs> for it. Yeah. So that's, it's really, that's really special about it. And mm-hmm. I, like I said, I don't, I've never watched Star Trek, but everything I know about Star Trek, I absorbed from cultural osmosis. So I, right. I know what the Vulcan greeting hand symbol is. I've seen people do it in TV yeah. shows and in real life. I know kind of what a Klingon is. I know <laughs> which one is uh, Kirk. I know which one is Spock. I will admit that I thought Bones and McCoy were two different people for the longest time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was Litter McCoy. And then it was also Bones. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah everything I, I know about Star Trek, I absorb from pop cultural osmosis. And that's why in doing the research mm-hmm. and homework for this episode, I was like, mm, okay, I understand some of these words. Right, right, right. Yeah, and of course, of course, the the cultural references at the point where it's just not satirical, but it's lost the plot. So when you yeah. actually watch it, you're like, this is nothing that I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I watched uh, two episodes from the first season, and then I, in doing fan lore research, which I love fan lore, it's been my crutch throughout this, I learned about Ponfar. And so I skipped yeah. ahead to the first season, uh, first episode of season two, which is called Amok Time. And yeah. it's just, it's a fuck or die heat fic, basically. But yes. an episode of a TV show, like Spock will die if he doesn't fuck someone. So McCoy <laughs> and Kirk send him home so we can go fuck someone <laughs> and be okay. <laughs> I'm just like, that's so just the fucky sci-fi thing. Like <laughs> it, it is a fanfic in real life. It is. It's great. So the fandom, which is considered the mother fandom, um, is amazing. Like the more I read about Star Trek fandom, that early Star Trek fandom, the more amazing it is. Um, I talked with Musaway Thick, who mm-hmm. is still in the Star Trek fandom. I'll bet the more into the alternative original series fandom. And she says it's still going strong. And uh, it, she's amazed to, you know, learn more about how the fandom has changed over time. Uh, back in the 60s, there were fanzines made with um, mimeographs, which were hand crank print printers. So you had all these fanfics and fan art in these little fanzines that these ladies were just hand cranking out and then mailing to each other. Yeah, it's cool. And that's actually why um, people were weary of putting Kirk Spock fic in those fanzines because you had to mail them. And at the time in the 70s, um, mm-hmm. homosexuality was considered to be obscene and you can't mail obscene material. So that was like a little, a stop for a lot of people. Right. But um, Star Trek fandom, uh, you have all these older women who were just making fanfic and fan art for completely free in their own spare time, just because they love the show so much. And I love that we've modeled, like modern fandoms, no matter where they are, have basically modeled themselves after those early fangirls. There is... Uh, Della Van Heese, who um, was uh, an editor for a fanzine called Ponfar Press, um, <laughs> and she published some fanfic pieces and some Kirk Spock spe- uh, pieces, and she actually got to write a Star Trek tie-in novel called Killing Time that eventually oh. got pulled because it was too slashy. <laughs> like they gave her like free reign to do whatever and she basically made like a Kirk Spock fic and they published it and put it as a book in stores and then they were like Wait, 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 wait a minute. This is some, this is some gay shit. And <laughs> they pulled them. Um, I believe, like, I went searching for copies of Killing Time, and they're on eBay for pretty steep prices. Yeah. This preserved history um, is, is just amazing. And Archive of Our Own's uh, Organization for Transformative Works, Open Doors, 
Initiative, which is a project that preserves older websites and um, archives, uh, has a lot of Star Trek things in them, like the Force Mutters project, which uh, was dedicated to preserving older Kirk Spock uh, fanfics. And it's just nice to see these things like preserved and like frozen in time because it's like a completely different time. Were you a part of the uh, Star Trek fandom itself or did you just watch the the show and movies? Um, I was like tentatively on the side of the fandom because it was it was that time when we switched over from LiveJournal uh, and AO3 mm-hmm. had just come up. Was AO3 was getting super popular and it was like towards towards the end of live journal because um the writer that you spoke with uh i actually remember her oh her name sounded familiar yeah her name sounded familiar so i went to her ao3 and i was looking through the things that she used to write for and i remember her from smallville fandom <laughs> oh yeah, she didn't mention smallville in our episode our mini yeah episode. yeah i remember her from smallville fandom um but uh for me um i wasn't really into it as I wasn't as active, um, but I did do research for a class about fandom and uh, we were speaking about how it was interesting how these women's these women were writing in the 70s and basically expressing their sexuality in a way that at the time men thought women couldn't be horny, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and still don't. Uh, so it was Right. And so it's interesting to see, as you were saying, to preserve history, but also as like um, as objects of like feminist writing in a way. So that that's the that's what was very interesting to me. But, yeah, I wasn't really active in the fandom um, in any sort of way. I didn't write it. I mean, I liked fix and stuff like that. I I kudos them, bookmarked them and stuff like that. But I didn't really talk to anybody. So. But I will say um, there was who she liked. She called herself like a grandmother in the fandom. And she just passed away maybe a year ago. And she was actually active on Tumblr. I'm talking like she's in her 80s. And she wrote a letter to the Star Trek fandom saying, you know, thank you for giving me my gift of life. Uh, I felt like I lived a second life through you guys. And um, her son had to press publish on it because it was scheduled to publish I guess if she didn't publish after a certain date or whatever, because I think she was sick. And so he was just like, I didn't know this about her. Um, I did. I knew about the. I knew about she liked Star Trek and she was involved in some way. But I didn't know how in depth and how many lives she had touched. So it was um, it was touching to see that. It was uh, interesting to see that this older lady, even at the end of her life, was still very active in the fandom. So. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah, very sweet. Star Trek fandom um, has given us plenty of wonderful fix. And as part of Fanthology's process of picking fandom classics, we had to weigh a lot of options. Um, longevity, um, wreckability, uh, you know, being foundations of uh, fandoms at certain points of time. And we came out with three fix. A Fragment of Time by Diane Merchant. Shelter by Leslie Fish and Joanne Augustino, and Navarre by Werewolves Are Real. And these uh, go from different points in fandom. Uh, the first two are based are based in the 70s. And then the third one is um, from the 2014. So we're going to start off with A Fragment Out of Time 
by Diane Merchant, which is considered the first Kirk Spock fanfic and therefore the first ever slash fanfic. Uh, Diane Merchant uh, penned a defense of her story after it was published because it caused such a wave. It was uh, published in Grup, which is a uh, contraction of the words grown up. So it's grown up grup, which is apparently a term found in Star Trek canon uh, in the episode Miri, where there is a planet where all the adults have been wiped out by a plague and there's only two adults left and the children there refer to them as grups. And the reason why they named it that is because it is an adult fanzine, which means sexy times. And uh, it was originally just like Spock in random female characters or self-insert female characters. And then uh, the third issue came out and so did A Fragment Out of Time. So A Fragment Out of Time is, it's hard to uh, come up with a description for it because it starts in the middle of the action, the action being a, a massage with a happy ending and a male character who is not actually identified as Spock is, a, uh, is having a massage and someone is like, slowly you know fondling him and everything it's four paragraphs there are three lines of spoken dialogue neither the no one's name is used and only one character the narrative character has a pronoun associated with him it's he for the character who is supposed to be spock and the character who's supposed to be kirk has no pronoun um if you were reading it, you probably wouldn't know who these characters are supposed to be until the end of the fanfic, which, as it was published in the fanzine, the author, Diane Merchant, also had art of Kirk and Spock embracing one another that she made herself. And that sort of, like, revealed the mystery of it all. Sorry, I keep pronouncing it wrong. It's Diane Marchant with an A, not Merchant with an E. I keep getting that mixed up. Marchant. Okay. Anyway, um, Larissa, what were your thoughts on Fragment of Time? So what I love about this piece is that um, it's really tentative and Marchant later writes that it felt like she was she was included in a letter that was supposed to be between friends. And that's how it kind of reads um, where it's she's kind of like feeling it out. Um, it kind of reminds me of live journal a little bit when you would write your like little drabbles when they were only 100 words each. So you would have to conserve and be like, OK, I don't need to get too flowery and descriptions i don't need to write the name because you know who i'm talking about yeah um but it's uh very visceral even for something just a couple paragraphs uh mm -hmm. and as we mentioned earlier in context it's a radical piece of writing yeah. uh, and it's a daring piece of writing to it so I, I i appreciate it so i didn't know what i was gonna get into i was like this is uh the first slash fic ever and it's written from the 70s by like a middle-aged uh, woman yeah. who, you know, just really into sci-fi. I, I didn't know what to expect. I did not know <laughs> that it's going to be a, a massage with a happy ending in like <laughs> under five paragraphs. I was like, oh shit, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right. She mentioned in, a, in an interview um, with, um, I forget what project it was, but she was interviewed about it. And she said that she did, hadn't expected it to make such a splash. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it was published in a fanzine. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and she seemed to be, um, sort of uh, confused as to how it got there. She said it was just a, a vignette that she wrote, um, with a little bit of humor, though I didn't see much humor in it. Um, right. and that, uh, she hadn't expected to be that big or make that big of a splash. 
And after she wrote it, she wrote a follow-up uh, defense of it uh-huh. that was published in the second, uh, in, like in the following issue of that zine where she said that she read the text as Spock being in love with Kirk and uh, that piece was her way of exploring that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she saw Spock as having a very juvenile sense of, of love and being a Vulcan that he didn't know how to express the sort of hero worship that he felt for Kirk. Mm-hmm. And that was her, just this little vignette was her way mm-hmm. of exploring that. And um, I find it interesting that like, and it wasn't just her, of course, there was a whole section of uh, Kirk Spock fans who thought it was actual te- actually textual mm-hmm. within the show, mm-hmm. which I can't speak to. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, Larissa, since you watched it a little. Uh, yeah, you know, I think I'm trying to remember right now. I think it's because Spock's lack of uh, rigidity when it came to uh, Kirk, um, mm-hmm. he would always make fun of Bones and saying, you know, you're being full of emotion right now. But when it came to Kirk, he was, he was a lot more forgiving. And even Spock himself would express more when he came to Kirk. There is an episode where they kind of the the whole ship kind of goes sideways and they lose the inhibitions and stuff like that and Spock was so distressed and he tells Kirk you make me feel things and it's very stressful no <laughs> and he's like I feel friendship I feel I feel feelings for you and they stress me out and okay. it's it's just interesting to see that everybody you know, is a loose cannon, you know, Sulu has fencing with people and people are dancing and stuff like that. And, and him is just trying to deal with the feelings that are trying to come out. So yes, I would say it's, it's pretty textual. It's not hard to, yeah, to see to it, connect yeah. the dots. So. Yeah. And talking with the Musaway thick, she, we were talking about the subject of Tahila, which uh, was written in a Star Trek tie-in novel oh, for yeah. the first movie and that it means uh, it can mean brother or lover or friend and that's what uh, Spock called Kirk right. which I I haven't watched the movie I didn't read the tie-in book so I I just learned this all secondhand but that seems like a very like important thing to say mm-hmm. especially between two men mm-hmm. like sure it was a different time and everything but that seems very like that's an important thing it is yeah I think it's a uh a less offensive way of saying oh their their bond is deeper than brothers or whatever <laughs> <laughs> i think i think you could wave it away because it's science fiction and, and this vulcan is learning how to deal with feelings and feel and be connected with his human side and kirk is like i think kirk fleshes out that meeting between the two of vulcan and and human and um he's trying to deal with it so so in we've read a lot of slash fic mm-hmm. in our time <laughs> um how a lot uh, how would you say that a fragment of time is similar or different because i've read plot with plots before mm-hmm. and this still felt very different even though it was essentially spock getting a happy ending to a, yeah. an impromptu massage with no context whatsoever right it's literally a fragment of a story yeah um and it still felt very different mm-hmm. and i can't place my finger on why mm-hmm. but just reading it if i i can tell if i knew nothing about the fic or the context i would still think that this was like an older piece not in a bad way right but just that it feels vintage it does yeah i uh and i think like i think that's why it reminds me of live journal so much is because mm-hmm. they're like when ao3 
in any fic- any any fictional writing there seems to be some sort of structure but mm-hmm. this kind of freehand f- kind of almost like consciousness flow of consciousness kind of writing where you're mm-hmm. just trying to they just want you to picture a scene that's it it's kind of like you just dropped in out of nowhere and you just caught this point you just walked in on someone <laughs> oh, getting shit, sorry. a hand job. It's what it feels like. <laughs> but I think I, we mentioned this off where it was very interesting to me because what we read now, there's a lot of feelings and inner narrative involved where this yeah. very much seems like an outsider point of view with just mm-hmm. a very small glimpse of any kind of rationalization or feeling or something like that. Um, yeah. But I liked it. It was... Like I said, it's interesting, and in context too, it's pretty pretty cool, pretty rad. Yeah, it's it's a powerful piece, like in and of itself. Yeah, because of that. Yeah. Um, and it was two years before our following mm-hmm. fic that we read, which is Shelter by Leslie Fish and Joanne Augustino, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's roughly about I say seven thousand words. Um, the summary is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are stranded on a planet when their shuttlecraft lands and explodes. Spock suffers from a blow to the head and is unconscious when they take their shelter in a convenient cave. And the the phrase convenient cave um, is funny to me now, now that I know about cave stories, which I guess were a much bigger deal in sci-fi fandom at the time. Uh, a lot like, you know, stranded and on a resort with the guy that you quote unquote hate during a, a blizzard and you're for it has like forced intimacy it forces two characters to confront their feelings for one another because they're in an isolated um strange place it's like oh no there was only one bed that's what i was thinking like, it's the only one bed of the 70s <laughs> and it's like it's just so funny that i think i know it's like sci-fi specific but oh here's this convenient cave right. we better go inside and fuck you know <laughs> and, and leslie yeah. fish who wrote this yeah oh my god she is amazing mm-hmm. so she is a middle-aged woman like at the time i believe she was also older um in a filk musician right i remember you mentioning that yeah it's a very niche uh, music genre which combines folk music and science fiction uh, so she does folk oh. music about like Star Trek and other sci-fi things and I, you can listen to her songs on Spotify they're really fucking good oh. um, she's also cool. a, a conservationist for the environment and an anarchist so like that's the kind of woman I want to be when I'm older you know I want to be an right. anarchist who saves you know, the environment and also writes catchy folk songs about warp lasers and Kirk Spock. It's interesting that you say that because the people that seem to trailblaze in terms of mm-hmm. fandom tend to have, tend to be those kind of yeah. people where it kind of just be like, this makes sense that I'm going to write about mm-hmm. it now. Um, my hobbies are writing about and being radical in what I'm writing about and just saying fuck it you know so it's interesting um that i've noticed that kind of trend yeah and it's it's really important that this was like the 1976 and here was this just badass woman who's writing you know Mm -hmm. fucking a cave fic and uh (laughs) saving the environment and rocking out on her fucking guitar amazing to me so shelter by leslie fish and joanne augustino uh, was published in 1976 in the warp space uh zine issue number 20 and it is a cave fic where 
Kirk, Spock, and McCoy have to take shelter in a cave, and Spock, who is dealing with these dreams and, and feelings for Kirk, is sort of delusional and ends up confessing them in a very weird way. And I'm going to tell you, I did not expect mm-hmm. like voyeuristic bones in a Star Trek fic from 1976. That's what happened. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, it was a K fix. So I knew some sex was going to happen, and yeah, it's it's really interesting because the way uh, the author wrote it, McCoy is actually the the narrative focused. So he's describing what he sees, but he has his back turned to them right. for most of the story. So it's a way convenient way to get around describing the sex while also acknowledging that it's happening. Because McCoy can't see them, but he can describe what he's hearing and like make ah. guesses. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really interesting. Um, huh. I say of the three, this is the one where I felt I needed to know the most about Star Trek off the bat. I don't know what a Nova all caps is. Probably, yeah. You know what I love about you know what I love about sci-fi fiction. Um, well, actually, uh, fan fiction in general is they just assume you know everything yeah and they just go from there and it's funny because when i started reading a star trek fic i didn't know because like i said i only watched first season whatever and i just kind of like was like okay <laughs> yeah that's sure. basically it like for the first one for a fragment of time it's just like i don't have to know anything it's a right. hand job fic right and it's right. like five paragraphs long yeah. and uh, the third one which we'll get to does a really good job of explaining things as it goes along but this one it is a, a true transformative work in that she was writing it, Leslie Fish was writing it for Star Trek fans. Right. So she just assumed they would already know these things. And exactly, that's a yeah. reasonable assumption. It's not written for me as someone who doesn't know anything about Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but I, I managed to like mostly deduce from context for most things. Other things yeah. I was like, well. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I I, th- I feel like that's a good writer where you don't you don't get the hangups of all this, 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 and this. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know what that is so yeah yeah well also acknowledging that this clearly is not meant for me it was meant for star trek fans right. only, right and i can't fault her for that at all right so shelter was probably the most interesting to me because i didn't know what was going on like i did not know that vulcans didn't or couldn't dream or mm-hmm. I, I believe that's what um mccoy was explaining that vulcans either don't dream or they don't like to talk about their dreams yeah yeah, uh, from what I remember, it's just a very, very, very private culture. They don't, yeah. they don't indulge in those kinds of things. It's because it, it's, it's illogical. Dreams are illogical. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can't. You have no control over them. Right. Um. And I still don't know exactly what he was dreaming about. Um. The, the dialogue was very, very proper, which I guess is very Vulcan. Um, yeah. Like I said, in a fragment of time, there was three lines of spoken dialogue, and they weren't, you know. They weren't Shakespeare. They were, you know, sex words. <laughs> sex words? You know what I mean. <laughs> and this one, I was like, oh, okay, so that, right, that's how Spock talks. Very yeah. proper, no contractions, things like that. And You know and what, Kurt, though? I'm yeah. going to interject and say that I think you can also tell which generation of Star Trek fic based on the type of language because I think that's very a Star Trek thing is a proper language and, uh, old slang and stuff like that because there's a there's one that i read and i was like this is this is kind of weird to read because there's not a lot of contractions and it's very um the language is different yeah put that way so i think that that's another thing too 
Yeah, I felt that like reading this, I was like, huh. And I feel like I was more confused than anything because like I mentioned, McCoy is the narrative focus and he's describing what he hears basically mm-hmm. of uh, Spock making these like uh, declarations in his very proper tone and Kirk being like, what? Spock? Huh? And then, you know, <laughs> and then McCoy's like, oh, fuck these guys. <laughs> Which, you know, I can tell so far that that McCoy and I, we have like, we're here, you know. I see him. Oh yeah, I you're the McCoy. total bones. You would love bones. He is just done with everybody's bullshit. <laughs> but, but he's the loudest. He's the loudest. I mean, he's just loud. He's gotta let everybody know. He's always on the bridge, and it's always like McCoy. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. And he's just like, well, I just this is where the cheese man is. Why wouldn't I be here? Is he? You know, I'm doing I'm doing the gay hands hand thing. Is he? Is he? You know? You know? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm feeling that maybe he's just because he's like prissy and very, very uptight. He's just old. He's old. He's just old too. He's just old and grouchy. I love him. He's my fa- he's my favorite. He's my favorite. Yeah. So it was interesting seeing the main couple through the eyes of a a third character. I love those to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. The outside looking in, where yeah. the audience is put into the place rather than you know being in the place of one of the main couple you're an outsider looking in which you already are which gives you like a sort of an intimate feel to the look into the relationship which is nice i i still don't know what to make of shelter like it's it's clearly a very good fic it holds up it is considered a fandom classic because it holds up and it it is a trailblazer but i still feel confused mostly because it is a transformative work which you can't doubt you can't like fault the author for right uh i feel I think out of the heels of a fragment out of time and especially when um like how she was what's her name Marchant Marchant um Marchant there you go she was saying you know as you were explaining you know the uh Spock has like a um a kid's eye view of love you know he is this and that and I feel like this is kind of a follow-up to that it seems very meta uh this is yeah because Bones is like, oh, this makes sense to me. Why he tends to imprint on Kirk because of this and this and that. So it felt very meta to me in a way I haven't read in a very long time. Um, actually, Marchant said in her interview that uh, Leslie Fish was one of the two women who were asking her if they could quote unquote borrow her hypothesis, mm. um, which is the premise, which is that Spock is textually in love with Kirk. Mm-hmm. And Leslie Fish reached out to her and was like, "Can I like you know do something with this?" And Diane Marchant said, "This isn't my uh, thing to own. I simply just put uh, the pr- premise into words." Um, and I guess this is the natural like progression from the premise to the shelter by Leslie Fish. That makes sense. Yeah. And there is a sequel called Poses, which was uh, written uh, the following year in 1977. Mm-hmm. And it is a part of the uh, Forest Mutters project, which is, we mentioned before, the uh, archive for Kirksbach fix of the early 70s. And uh, Leslie Fish is not as active in the Star Trek fandom anymore, I believe, but she is still an active folk musician and she still loves science fiction and fandom and she's still going strong. Last but not least is the most recent of the the list. The two others were 1974 and 1976. Yeah, respectively. And the last one is Navarre. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, And I apostrophe ar by werewolves are real and this one's from 2014 Mm. 
Now, when I was researching for this, it was very easy to get like, okay, I have to have a fragment out of time because it is the first Kirk Spock fic. Um, I have to have Shelter by Leslie Fish because it is widely considered a fandom classic. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to find something more modern, you know, to to compare early to later because the first two are still pretty early in the fandom days. Right. And so I, naturally I went to AO3 and just searching Kirk Spock um, got me a lot of uh, results, but... I'd say the majority, if not like 80% of the top kudo Kirk Spock fic are all from the alternative original series, which is the Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto uh, movies. Yeah. Which is, which is fine, but I wanted to keep in line with the, the original series that we were doing. So, uh, and going, whittling down from that with just Kirk Spock from Star Trek, the original series, the top kudo fic was Navarre by Werewolves Are Real. Which is really interesting because it is a Star Trek His Dark Materials AU. Yeah. So it is canon compliant of the entirety of the Star Trek um, premise, but with His Dark Materials um, like lore in it. Mm-hmm. So the official summary reads, Humans have daemons, Vulcans have Katras, Spock, born of both, has neither, which he's fine with, really. Meanwhile, James Kirk is a little curious about this whole Damon business because how the hell can he have two souls? So I don't know anything about his dark materials. I know I'm a bad gay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I've know never anything. read it. Wait, I feel like I should. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. fuck all. And, yeah. it, and it has a TV show now, right? I believe so. Yeah. So uh, there has been plenty of like opportunities for me to learn something. And I just have to. Sure. Yeah, and this this is one of the things uh, the osmosis didn't happen. Yeah, I just yeah just did not happen. Definitely not. Like it wasn't on the pop culture radar that much that I picked up anything. Yeah, yeah. So I was really afraid going into this because I was like, <laughs> do I have to read the entirety of the historic materials wiki page right? to understand this? So I decided to just like say fuck it, and I would go in, and if I saw a word I didn't yeah. know, I was just gonna Google it. But the thing mm-hmm. is, is that this reads a lot like a short story. It's 11,000 words. It does. And it does. Th- it's like, it's a transformative work, but the author does a really good job of explaining things via exposition without doing a bunch of telling and not showing. Like, mm-hmm. so within the first like thousand words, I understood inherently that a daemon was a physical manifestation of a human being's soul. And right. even though it wasn't touched on as much, I, of course, figured that Katras were the Vulcan equivalent of that. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's actually a thing in Star Trek, Katras. It is. It is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. if I yes. wasn't like, maybe she just like made up something, but okay. You no, know, in fact, the second movie, I think it's the second movie, deals, the whole thing is about Spock's Katra because he dies in the movie. Mm. And then the second one is Spock being an asshole put his catra in bones i think oh god poor bones <laughs> the man. obviously just pissed him off <laughs> that poor poor man <laughs> yeah so it just turns into trying to get him back and all this stuff but yeah there is such a thing people are fucking in front of him and shoving <laughs> souls inside of him <laughs> so now you can see why he's back <laughs> he's just just hates this fucking family so I understood that Damon's like without having to look it up that Damon's were a physical man- manifestation of a human being's soul, um, and that Vulcans had the Vulcan equivalent, which were Katras, and that Spock, who is half Vulcan, half human, which pop cultural osmosis did not pick up before that he was both Vulcan and human. I thought he was just a Vulcan, mm-hmm. but I learned something. <laughs> Yay! Um, he has none, and 
Kirk has two daemons. Um, and it's just, it's just really well written because it then like logically follows his, his mother freaks out about him having two daemons. And then he, she consults a, um, a professor of like daemonology or whatever. And he's like, well, this isn't too weird, but there is a Chinese fairy tale about a girl who was born without demons and she was cast out from society because people saw her to be soulless. So she lived in a forest or whatever. And meanwhile, there's another boy in the village who had two demons. So he went looking for her and it turns out that one of his demons was hers. And that's how he found out that they were soulmates. Obviously from that point, you can figure, oh, okay. So Kirk and Spock are soulmates. One of the demons that Kirk owns actually belongs to Spock. And the thing is, is that they don't get together until like the last... 10% 10% of the thing right. and it still felt really romantic and I still learned a lot about Star Trek like uh, there is a scene where Kirk goes onto a planet Tarsus 4 I want to say that sound right mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. and he was like a kid and there was a fungus yes. that ate like yes. that played the entire vegetation there and the that's canon yeah the, I realized why I was like is this canon this seems like really like yes. really well written and really detailed to be canon like just yes. something that someone made up and it is canon and the governor, I think it's the governor, commander, whatever, the ruler of that planet ordered that half the population be murdered. And Kirk led a bunch of children um, to safety. And that was just like really evocative for me. I was like, well, I learned, of course, that she didn't make that up. That was from canon. But the way she wrote yeah. it was just like, oh, it, hurt. it hit me. And I'm guessing it's also, I didn't, this part I didn't Google, but that Spock has a brother who had yes, gone. Cyborg. Yeah, he had a mental illness. Is that real? That he thought he was communicating with a god or something uh you know i don't remember but i know that he was he was othered in the sh- in the in in canon he was very othered mm-hmm. um which is interesting because he was full vulcan oh but yes yeah, so he was very othered in it and uh i i love i love fandom's treatment of cyborg i really do but yeah he was othered i don't really know much about other, other than that I really like the cyborg parts of this story because um, it talked about Spock having envy towards him because his brother mm-hmm. had a daemon and he didn't. And then cyborg mm-hmm. had uh, become mentally ill and he believed that he was talking to a god and he got a bunch of followers and mm. Spock felt accepted well, by those is, followers. I think that is true. I think that maybe that did happen. This sounds familiar now that you said that. Uh, it belongs to me of the Tarsus <laughs> 4 thing of that. It was like really detailed to the point where not to insult the author because she wrote this beautifully but like i felt like this is something that's pulled out of canon and that she just wrote it in a way that is compliant with uh how she's wanting the story to work yeah yeah and then when spock finds out that cyborg has been brainwashing people into believing into the gods and that those people weren't actually accepting spock as he is he's like crushed and i remember that hurt me a lot it was Hmm. and i don't even really know these characters and again it's just them living two separate lives until they meet um, in the Starfleet and yeah. like in the last 10% of the, the fic and mm-hmm. uh, Spock calls Kirk to Gila after they mind meld, I believe it's called mind meld. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even think they kiss, but it's still like completely romantic. And I can totally see yeah. why this is the most kudoed, the original series Kirk Spock fic on AO3. Interesting. It's interesting, and I think people have mentioned this before, maybe on like um, fandom websites and stuff like that, uh, fan lore or whatever, um, how we've seemed to kind of pull back from just straight up smut and mm-hmm. have delved more into like this romantic, very romantic soulmates is huge, um, you know, kind of writing 
right now and the sense of belonging and things like that yeah which is actually pretty uh surprising to me i would have mm-hmm. thought like early slash fic would be more like conservative and maybe a little right. bit shy but it's like no yeah. we're, we're fucking in caves and we're getting <laughs> hand jobs in like the first 200 words doing and- <laughs> it doing in front of our our, our uh, senior officers there you go like you know what throw caution to the wind we're here for a, a good time not a long time and <laughs> I, I I would have guessed that. I'm not sure if it's just like me being like a typical millennial and thinking that everyone who's like older was just repressed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, or if it's just as it was the 70s, the only perception of gay men at the time was that they were sexual beings and therefore mm-hmm. that bled into like if there's two men, of course they have to have sex. But I also right. feel like sex now is like kinkier than ever. But that's just in the fandoms that I've been in. I'm not sure if Star Trek is different. The Navarre, the Navarre Navarre fic clearly shows that um, what uh, Star Trek fandom really goes for is a romantic slow burn, very character driven stories, as opposed yeah. to you know hand jobs and fucking in front of your senior officer. Which yeah. I mean, which is just neither one is like better than the other one. It's just interesting to see like the progression of Star Trek fandom like that. I agree, and it's just interesting to see because I was in the new Star Trek with Chris Pine in it. Uh, and it's just interesting to see that they didn't go straight for the, you know, the PWPs or whatever. They're not saying that they aren't there, but, you know, lengthy, plotty, not like legit sci-fi fix. And so yeah. it's interesting to see that through the generation, that's still like the big, that's the big thing in this fandom. And it's great to see women write or non-cis men as well write this stuff and be interested in it because you know it's fun yeah which is it's so weird to think of like sci-fi being a very cis male dominated genre when so many of the women who spearheaded it who had will committees who made like fanzines on menographs where they hand cranked out the pages and like women were the bedrock of that these women yeah. were the bedrock and that's just amazing to me and that it still continues on to now lucille ball yeah, lucille oh. ball was like hey I want this show to be on CBS. Here's some money. Yeah. And I'm still like interested in why Star Trek appealed to women so much. It is it is interesting because most of the dudes that talk about Star Trek are totally wrong <laughs> when they talk about Star Trek. Yeah, Captain Kirk, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm, you have obviously never seen it because Captain Kirk spends a lot of time reading and hugging his ship and talking oh, love to it I'm gonna ship. so and they play chess and shit I don't know what I don't know what show you're watching it's, it's, I can see how uh, Kirk can get flanderized like that that happens to Dean Winchester in the Supernatural yeah. Kingdom and I feel like Kirk and Dean are very similar so yeah um, Navarre my favorite yeah. out of these all of these three and like I said it read like a short story in that I even though it was a transformative mm-hmm. work it was a derivative of an act of a different text I felt like I didn't need to look up anything. I didn't feel like an outsider looking into the story. I feel like, okay, I understand these Mm -hmm. people. I understand their motivations. I understand the world and the lore. And she did that with not just one fandom that I don't know anything about, but two. Yeah. (laughs) So that's uh, Werewolves Are Real. She's written over 151 fanfics since 2013 on AO3. Um, That's the number as of January 2020. Who knows how much she's written since February started. Um, Mm. So that's uh, our three fics that we pulled. 
if you think that we should have left one out or put something in, or if there is a fic that we didn't cover that we should have, uh, let us know. I'll definitely read it. And I'll probably tweet at you if you tweet at me about it. I feel like I understand Star Trek a little bit more. Maybe not in the ways I should, since what I just read was two plot with plots <laughs> and uh, his dark materials AU fanfic. <laughs> yeah. an AU. I, I feel like I kind of get what's going on. <laughs> no, you know what, Chill? If you do sit down and watch, you're going to be like, okay, this makes total sense to me because it, it there are episodes where it's Monster of the Week kind of deal. There are AUs of it. There is a mirror verse. So I feel like it's pretty in line that you're not too far off. Because I tried reading, I tried reading, I tried watching some episodes, um, and I ended up watching that Honfar episode, the Amok Time, and I felt like I don't understand this shit at all. I mean, Kirk, you're like what the Kirk fuck is and happening? McCoy also didn't understand it. They were like, "Go back home so you can fuck a chick and you won't die." <laughs> but you know, it's like, what the hell is happening? What is this in real life heat fic you got going on? Um, and then uh, yeah. I think it's. I think I randomly started, I think the side of paradise, I think is the one. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's like oh, one okay. of the later episodes of season one. So I feel like I picked the wrong episodes. Yeah. I went on what IMDB recommended and I ended up being lost. Oh, don't do that. No, no, I'm no. I'm a tourist no. in this <laughs> land and I'm just consulting websites. <laughs> yeah. I'll definitely start from the beginning. Um, I thought starting from the middle or like kind of the middle would like, because that's like the best representation of a thing is if the later it is, the best representation it is. But I'll start from the beginning and I'll, I'll go sense. down the line because I'm definitely now yeah. more interested in Star Trek. Um, if not just for Bones, yeah. but because the fandom is oh, yeah. uh, amazing. And I think that's it. So we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.